Well, we are on week three of our journey through the 2020 vision series, and I really like how it's, it's shaping up because I think in a lot of ways it's helped to set the tone or the posture for uh, the, the months ahead that are unfolding into 2020. And hopefully that's been your experience as well. I know a lot of you are going through the 21 days of, of prayer, and, and some of you are fasting from things and taking a break from things or not doing things that you normally do, so you can take that space and you can dedicate it to the Lord. And hopefully in the process, it's creating within all of us uh, a greater sense of the presence of the Lord. And we're tuning into him a little bit more. As we go through this, this series and this study, uh, it's uh, 21 days of praying through the Psalms. So a lot of us are, are doing that. We're reading the Psalms and perhaps getting up in the morning and creating some new routines and allowing the Psalms to shape the day that is in front of you. And as uh, we're reaching day 14 in that process. We're actually looking at a psalm uh, this morning that uh, is in our reading. It's Psalm chapter uh, 3, which uh, one of the, one of the uh, introductory psalms for all 150, it kind of sets the tone. And I think it also helps us in how we calibrate our vision so that we can see. And uh, one of the things that I think is our biggest struggle when we can't see is it causes us to wonder what is in the unknown? What is it that I'm missing? And perhaps in a darker turn, what's a threat? Now I remember when I was about kindergarten age and I watched a, a show on TV. I probably shouldn't have watched it. It came on later at night and it was called Tales of Terror. And if you can imagine B-movies being played back in the 70s, you, you sort of get a sense of, of what I was paying attention to. But there was enough horrifying elements for my kindergarten mind back in 1970. I just won't even go there in the early 70s, and that uh, it captured my imagination in ways that kind of hung on with me. I would, I remember going to bed, and you know how people talk about you don't want to put your foot out when you're a little kid, because you don't know what's underneath your bed? And that's the thing, isn't it? I'm not just making that up. That's not a TV thing. That's a real thing. And so I was very careful about keeping my feet contained within the bed. But then I would, I would wonder, okay, but what's underneath the bed anyway? What am I sleeping on top of? And what, whenever I wake up, is going to come around and, and get me? I mean, that really was my, my thought process. So whenever you are afraid and you're in kindergarten, perhaps parents, you can relate to this. Where do you go about 1 o'clock in the morning? That safe place, right? Mom and dad's bed. Okay, so maybe you've had that experience. If you've had kids, I have a feeling it's happened to you. Uh, but this is, this is through the mind of a kindergartner. So I'm thinking there's one safe place, and if I jump out and I run as fast as I can, I can, I can be safe because their bed is base. So I'd go and I'd hop in bed with them. And for whatever reason, my dad is pretty grumpy about it. And, uh, and, and so, you know, uh, he told me in the morning, uh, you know, when you come into bed and you fall asleep, then you start kicking everybody. And I said, yeah, that, that's kind of a problem. I won't do it anymore. Well, rinse and repeat the cycle a number of times. And in the process, I know my dad was getting very frustrated. We didn't go to church and my dad really was sort of against it because he grew up in a very rigid uh, environment that um, uh, just 
he felt like took all the joy out of it. So we didn't go to church growing up. However, I have to say that he is probably the first person who planted that seed that there is a a larger presence that surrounds us. There is a God. And I think out of frustration, I hopped in bed with him and he said, uh, and now for reasons I understand being an adult, why he wanted me out of there, but that we won't go there. All I can tell you is he was trying to figure out how it is that he could put my mind at ease when they're here and I need to be over there. So he took me back to the bed, he set me down and he said, let me teach you a prayer. And I'm like, what's that? And he said, this is, a, this is the only prayer I know, but I think it'll help you. When a monster or something starts to threaten you, pray this prayer. And maybe you know this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. If I pray the sword, my, my, lotus, my soul to keep. Uh, if I die before I wake, that's so morbid, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Well, at least I know that if I'm dying, I'm going to be at the Lord. So all bases are covered, right? Uh, amen. He said, just pray that prayer when you start to feel afraid. And fortunately for him, it worked. And I ended up staying in my bed and I'd get afraid and I'd pray that prayer and I would just feel like God's going to protect me. He's going to watch out for me. And so I'd kind of dangle my foot over the edge of the bed and say, can't get me because God's watching out for me. And there was a sense of assurance that there was a larger force that's invisible that was taking care of me. And, you know, it, it, I think it solved the problem. I had a lot of other problems, but it solved that one. And as it did, it began to plant in my mind a sense that has been with me my whole life. And I honestly think it's the reason, why, one of the reasons why I'm here. It's because I've always believed that there is a God working in the background of my life. And not only that, I've always believed that that God has been favorably disposed towards me. That he loves me. And my parents love me, so he must love me. And I had this sense that I was secure with him. Well, you fast forward a little bit into life and you realize... There may not be monsters under the bed, but there are other kinds of monsters that life will throw at you that you start to fear. And varying from season to season and, and, and stages of your development to being an adult, you find that even though you conquer that one fear, there's two more that pop up like whack-a-mole over here, and you've got to deal with that. And how is it that you go through life not being afraid or Afraid in a way that says, you know, you probably shouldn't grab, you know, that, that hot piece of steel next to the fire. Uh, that's a healthy kind of fear. But there's an irrational kind of fear that we have that carries off into adulthood. Even to this day, when I walk outside, we live out in the country, and I'm, and I'm by, my, by, by, by the tree line uh, that, that I can't see beyond, I get sort of like this, the hair stands up on the back of my neck because in my imagination I'm thinking, even as a 56-year-old man, I don't know what's on the other side of that tree line. I don't know what's out there in the woods. And, and maybe that's just me being, being a wuss. I don't know. But, but I, I, I get that. And I know that there are no bears and there are no lions, but there could be who knows what out there. And I'm honestly not a fraidy cat, but there's just this sense of, Leonard, 
why, why, are you, why are you feeling this way? And I think it just runs deeper than that. Because I've had to chase cats and dogs in the middle of the woods at night. And, you know, that's just so I could go to bed. So I, there's nothing out there, I can assure you, if you're afraid, I think. So if, uh, if, if you, but, but if you stop and you think of what's going on here, it really is, a lot of times, our imagination, isn't it? Just working overtime on the what-ifs. And how it is that as our imagination begins to take our fears and mold them into a life of their own, it just shuts us down, doesn't it? Where we get into a protective, self-preservational state. And that's all we can think about. But then we, we want to see clearly what it is that we're afraid of. And I honestly believe that we will always have our battles with fear. And it primarily has to do with the degree of trust that we have in a God who can watch out for us. I think the two are very closely connected. I think that perhaps if you are so, so fear prone, that may be a leading indicator that you're not spending enough time pushing the pause button on all of it and tuning into God so that you can see whatever it is that you're facing, not through your own eyes, but through His eyes. So, how is it that we see with 2020 vision those things as God sees them that threaten you and I? And one of the psalms, psalm, psalm number three, I think is our filter for being able to take the darkness of the things that are unseen that we, we, we feel are a threat to us and shedding light on it. And, and, and the best way I want to open our eyes to this psalm is to show you a picture of what it looks like to have night vision goggles on. And this picture uh, that I want to show you right now, if we can just click to it, um, is, uh, is, is, is a contrast between the two. Don't know if we have anybody up there or not, but if we can click onto that slide. Okay, if you've ever looked at night vision goggles, you'll see that classically, it's always been sort of a, a, a green uh, a filter that you look at the object that you're trying to see at night. And that's a military breakthrough that you take into hunting and all those other things. So you can see at night with the right filter. We, we're aware of that. But did you know that they've, they've, they've developed the technology so well that they can actually take what is pitch black from the standpoint of our own vision and they can make it look as plain as day? that it can have that kind of color where you're not only seeing it at night, but you're seeing it in, in, in technicolor. And it, let me just go on to the next slide and, and show you a couple more examples. There's uh, the city through the lens of one type of camera at night, and then the Falcon Eye 2000, you gotta get one. You can, you can see not only the city and the lights, but you can also see people and you can see structures and trees and the sky lit up in the back. And it's just amazing, isn't it? How just a simple filter takes what is dark and reveals what is hiding in the darkness. All right, you with me? And if the filter is operated enough, 
it's almost like there's no difference between night and day. So here's another picture that was taken whenever it was pitch black at night through the lens of this particular filter. I mean, had I not told you, you, you'd probably think, well, that's, that's taken in the evening, obviously. But the fact is, it's a picture that is, is just a, an example of how the technology has created the ability to see at night just as effectively as we see during the day. I mean, I got to think that's pretty handy. Matter of fact, wouldn't it be great if we had a spiritual filter that would help us to see those dark, threatening things that we worry about, that we fear, in perfect daylight? Well, I got to think it would, it, would, it would solve the problem of a lot of monsters and a lot of things that we get into our heads over because we see things as they truly are. And a lot of times, the biggest problem has been our own imagination filter has filled in so many gaps that just aren't there. All that to say that many times the fears that you and I have are not real. They're just imagined. But they're provoked by the unknown. And that is real. And sometimes even embedded within the unknown are things that we need to fear. And there are things that we hope that there is some kind of shield or safeguard in place to protect us from. Now I want to jump over to the text. If you can go to the black slides with the text on them. Uh, I want to read the psalm. Because as a psalmist is writing it, it's King David. And King David is writing this psalm on the back of Psalm 2, which he wrote, both Psalms were written in the wake of, well, something that he did in his past that's haunting him. You ever do something and you look in the rearview mirror and you say, I got some regrets. Well, he had some big ones. And if you read the story of David and Bathsheba, you can get a clue as to how much that, that created some problems. But as a result of that, he, he realized that it had a consequence on his own ability to connect to God. In Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, David wrote as well to say, my, my act of sin disconnected me from God and had some effects on my, on my social life as well. And I have to sort that out. And I'm writing these psalms to tell you how... I tried to come correct on it. So Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 that we've read in our, in our readings helps us to get right with God. This psalm is designed, as David tells it, to help us to deal with our fears. You see what happened after this whole thing with David and Bathsheba, it just, everything started to come unglued. So much to the point that they had a, they had a son who was very handsome and very likable and very charismatic. And it was almost like he could do no wrong. And there was a sense of, well, he started to own that. And he started to become pretty narcissistic to the point where he felt like he couldn't do no wrong. And he got so full of himself that he began to see how David was getting older and he was getting weaker that 
it's time for him to lead. I've got other brothers that I'm competing with, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take the first step and I'm going to begin to take over. But the problem was his own son, his own beautiful son, well, handsome son, should I say, his own handsome son began to talk to people at the city gate who were bringing their problems to the, to the, um, to, to the, to the king. And he'd say, you don't need to go to the king. I can help you with your problems. And he'd counsel them and he would say, this is what you need to do. Long story short, he just went through a long uh, uh, process of having many conversations with a lot of people, basically contrasting how bad his dad is and how good he is. And people started to believe the press. And what it created was tensions within the household because the son is now in competition for the dad's job to be king and he doesn't really care about the dad anymore. It's pretty ugly, dark stuff. And in 2 Samuel 13 through 17, it shows how it all unfolds. And so here David is, he loves his son and he's conflicted because his son is also trying to do away with him. And a parent has a really hard time giving up the love they have for their child. But the child, I think, was so overindulged that he didn't even have a conscience about what he was doing. And the thing was going off the rails. All that to say that scholars agree that when David wrote this psalm, it was in the wake of his son creating a huge act of betrayal and then garnering, for, gar, garnering forces against him so much so that there was a smear campaign and people started turning against David. And people actually started to believe the, the lie that David was opposed to them and out to get them. And so David actually got ran out of Jerusalem because stories were told about him that weren't true. And here's what he says in, in the form of a psalm as he went through that. Well, let's go ahead and go back to that for just one second. He said... O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying to me, there is no help for you and God. He's, you've messed up. There is no helping you. And there are others who are saying, yeah, God's not really that helpful in the first place. Like, why would you even trust that God is a thing in life? Like, he's not real. And so you had... Basically agnostics on one side and other people saying, you messed up so badly, not even God can help you out. And so David is feeling the pressure in all the press. I mean, imagine if there was social media and every time David got on, it was like just people piling on and bullying and just, you know, how vicious people can get. And imagine that their version of social media was doing that. And he's reading some of the press and it started getting in, starting to get into his head and he's starting to wonder, am I really that person that everybody says that I am? And even getting gaslighted a little bit where what he thought he believed and knew is changing to a narrative that he's starting to question and now he's, well, he's uncertain. Have you ever been in that place where you thought a thing was a certain way but then everybody says, no, it's that way. And you hear it enough, you start to believe it. Well, that's where David was. His head was not in a good place. His relationships were dysfunctional at best. And his, his job, his, his rule as king, his whole purpose for being was being called into severe question. I mean, this was striking deep into his identity. 
And I don't know if you've ever been in any situation where as an adult, you're thinking, I just wish I were back in that time when I put my foot over the bed that the only thing I had to be afraid of was monsters. My, how life gets complicated as it goes on, doesn't it? And the fears get more complicated. And you're in this place where, well, I feel pretty helpless and pretty vulnerable. And that's what I love about this psalm. Is because he says right out of the gate, O Lord, at the ground level, this is what I'm seeing. And I'm feeling it. And it hurts. And people are saying, I should doubt you. He's crying out. But then let's go to the next slide. And this is what he says. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I cry to the Lord and he answers me from his holy hill. Let's stay there for just a second. Because what David does is he looks, at the vert- he looks at the horizontal social plane at what's going on in his world and he says, it's not going so good. Matter of fact, I, I, I wish I could just you know, crawl underneath a rock or I just wish a rock would land on me. You can see how dark his thoughts are getting. And as he's going through this, he's saying, but I need to press the pause button on that and I need to get my bearings. And I need to focus on God and ask the question, God, how do you see this? How do you see my predicament? What is going on on your end regarding what I am going through? And I also want to apply that question to you guys. When you are in the midst of those things that are in your head that are overwhelming you, do you push the pause button and say, God, Help me to filter out all the noise and filter in only those things that you see so I can see it from your point of view. Now, wouldn't it be great to see things sometimes from God's point of view? I mean, I don't think we're capable of handling that. And we really don't have that, 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 that faculty for that. Matter of fact, we're not capable of understanding a lot of things that threaten us. And here's a good example. I want to show the picture uh, right after the night vision slides. It's the one about um, the Van Allen belts. Now, if you look at this slide, on the left is the sun. Right, right after that picture, right after that part of the picture is uh, a, basically a projection coming out of the sun. These are, for lack of a better understanding, they're proton waves that are directed towards the earth and everywhere else in the universe. And as it, as it has the earth in, in, in its crosshairs on its trajectory, these proton waves are just coming, you know, millions of miles a second at us. And as they do that, they are more than capable of incinerating the planet. And this goes on every day. It is going on right now. This capacity that the sun has to just fry us is heavily in play. But what physicists discovered is on the outer barrier of the atmosphere of our planet are these belts that are designed to deflect 
these, these proton waves that are coming at us, and they're about 7,000 miles up. And they're called the Van Allen belts. And what they do is they, they, they basically disperse the radiation that faces us. They are an invisible shield that in God's creational process, he's designed us to get warm from the sun, but not to get incinerated from the sun. And the only way that that can occur is with the presence of these of this mysterious shield around us. You with me? Okay. So that little planet in the middle of all of those cool graphics that are kind of purplish on your right is planet Earth. And what's going on is a lot of stuff that we can't see that are very threatening against our, our existence and scientists scratched their heads for a while trying to figure out how this whole thing worked. And what they concluded was the earth has a north pole and a south pole representing the fact that we have an electromagnetic phenomenon happening on this planet. Energy is coursing around this planet because of the polarization of those electrical forces. The long story short, because the earth is energized in that way, it is able to ward off those threats. Now, I just want you to hold that in your mind. Because the thing is energized in that way, it is able to repel the threats. If the earth wasn't energized, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But because something is going on between those two poles, we're able to enjoy our everyday lives in peace and have hopes and dreams and plans and visions for things ahead because God is bundled into the beautiful creation that he has, this shield. What the psalmist is saying by analogy is kind of the same thing. There are two poles at work in this psalm. One of them is David, and the other one is God. And whenever those two poles are working together the way they should be working together, there's a shield that's created. There is something in play that is beyond what we can see. And so let's just go back to the, that first slide of that psalm. And, and recap. As you read the Psalms, when you see a word show up several times, that pattern is telling you something about what's happening. And essentially David is saying, I'm all in my head about this because the forces, they are great. The threats are real. And I don't honestly know how this is going to turn out. Except for you, God. And that really is the game changer. And when he begins to connect less on the vertical, on the horizontal plane, where I'm looking out and all I see is what's going on out there, which is what you and I do all the time, and he pushes the pause button and he says, I'm going to stop and I'm going to just take all of that stuff out of my head and I'm going to focus on you, Lord. I'm going to bracket what is happening and think about what it is that you have to say so that I can filter my experience through that lens. I believe that the minute that David and the Lord connect, 
that's when the things that need to happen start to happen. I also believe that connection happened a long time ago. That it wasn't ever broken. Yeah, he pushed God away and did his own thing and suffered his own version of hell for that. But at the end of the day, God's always been there. And I would say for you in this room, at the end of the day, God's always there. But the breakdown is the connection. And whether or not you're willing to make that, and when you do, to experience, I would say, for, I don't want to use, for lack of a better word, the energizing nature of what it means to have God activate that relationship. So he moves on in verses 3 and 4 to say these words. Let's go on. But you, but you are shield around me. It isn't like, but the God of the universe, but the man upstairs, but that being that's our deity. No, he personalizes it. Because this is the kind of God that you and I have. He's a personal God. He, by design, calls us into a relationship. And he says, you're my glory and the one who lifts my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and you answer me from your holy hill. Now, this is kind of a weird statement, but I'm just going to throw it out there. If, if you can imagine, let's say right through those doors is Jerusalem and the temple is on the mount in Jerusalem there. And I am crying out to the Lord. I, I could be going, Lord, please help me out. But what David does is he physically postures himself towards that place on the planet that represents the location of God, and that is the temple. And he says, Lord, I'm praying to you. Do you hear me? And the reason I think that's a thing is because when you read in the book of Daniel, here's a guy who's been taken out of his country. He's been put into exile. He's been called to serve another king who worships another deity that's evil. And Daniel, the scripture says, would pray three times a day and he would bow three times a day towards Jerusalem. You know, you hear Islamic people doing that, but he was doing it way before they did it. And it was David's way of saying, no matter what's going on out there, that connection that I have between my God and myself and my circumstances, I'm keeping alive. And so three times a day, he would make sure that connection was strong. And it's what stabilized him under a very unstable king and pretty unstable conditions. Now, I'm not saying that that's what you need to do. But what I'm saying is, is that you need to find those places that you can go to that connect you with the Lord. And I'll just name a few. One of them is just spending time in the Psalms like we're doing right now. That creates that, that connection. The other one obviously is prayer. The other one is, is gathering for worship. And having a posture when you come here of just pushing the pause button on everything you have going on out there and not really worrying too much about what people are doing in here, but just asking the single question, God, will you speak to me in this place? And sometimes it is through a mature Christian who doesn't even know that God is 
prompting them to say something. Sometimes it's through what we hear in the message and song. And that just carries with us throughout the week. I'll be singing these songs all week in my head. Maybe it's through the sermon. Or any number of ways that you can, in, can encounter God in this, in this space. And sometimes Siri will try to compete with that. And you got to do what she did. Siri, I'm in control here. Right? Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, maybe Siri needs redeemed too. Who knows? Okay. All right. I'm glad you have a sense of humor and you can joke with me on that. No worries. We won't even say your name. Although. Okay. All right. Um, I hope that this is a safe enough place that when you come here and people have enough self-awareness and enough humility to say, I'm going to put my own agenda aside and my own crankiness and my own bitterness or my own complaining and I want to be a vessel for you. It really is all about how you posture yourself under any set of conditions. Whether you're coming in here or whether you're facing night terrors out there. How you posture yourself towards the Lord will have a lot to do with how well he can work under the conditions that you're having to deal with. I love the study that Amy's doing in Koinonia because it is all about fear, right? And what's the opposite of fear? Faith, trusting God. And somewhere on the continuum between the two is us. And we're, we're learning not to fear. And we're also learning that, you know, fear is a good thing. Like you shouldn't drive your car over a cliff. You shouldn't do certain things that are obviously a risk to your well-being. But there are other things that they're not warranted. And so the psalmist tunes into God, tunes out the voices out there, and he says the God filter is what's going to define what I see primarily. And so we move on to the next couple of verses because we're about done. He says, I lie down and sleep. Do you ever wonder if David's dad said, David, let me tell you a prayer so you don't jump in bed with mom and I. Now I lay me down to sleep. Uh, Maybe, maybe not. But the point is, have you ever gone to bed and not went to sleep because of worry? David's got all this noise going on in his world and he's saying, I'm just going to bed. How can you do that? Other than to be aware, as we're told like little kids, that God's a shield around you. And he always will be. Even if you've messed up, he's still going to hang with you. Isn't that good to know? Because I'm sure there are a couple people in here that haven't messed up. But the rest of you guys, like myself, we've messed up. And we've even had our moments where we're like, I don't even know if I want to go to church. I feel so much shame. God's saying, you need to take that with you and we'll sort, we'll sort that out as well. And so he says, I'm going to sleep. I've sorted my business out with the Lord. I'm doing what I can under the conditions that I'm operating in. 
and I'm called to put him first even if 10,000 people are outside the door trying to bust it down. Because, because, the Lord is a shield around me. I'll not be afraid. So let's end, let's end the psalm as we go through it. Where David says in the last set of verses. Rise up, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? It's actually warfare language by design. Because essentially that's what's happening. It's a war for your soul. If the devil wants to keep you shut down, the best way to shut you down is with your fears. Because when you're in a fear mode, all you want to do is react in ways that keep yourself safe. However, when you are in a faith mode, you don't react to anything. But you respond with a God lens to everything. And God creates that safe space for you to be able to do that. And Christians in this church, we are here to help facilitate that safe place when others need it. The last thing that people need to hear from us are, are gripes. I mean, if you have them, direct them to the people that they belong to, including myself, because I'm, I'm approachable. And we've been through those seasons but what's been so cool as we've gone through them is I've seen a lot of people say the only way that we can come correct is to posture ourselves towards God in humility. Because deliverance belongs to him and him alone. He's fighting the battles of our hearts. But also in the unseen realm... There are powers and principalities that hate us. They hate you. They hate me. They love to pile on fear. They love to keep us locked down. They don't want us to move forward in the kingdom and its agenda. They would prefer us to just constantly walk out of this place and say, that was great in there, but out here, it's me versus the world. And David is saying, wherever you want to look at your need for the presence of God, either in the things unseen that you never knew were happening, like the Van Ellen belts, or the things that are right in front of you that are overwhelming you, in all of those things, the only way that you can be delivered is from the Lord. But if you're like me, I'm prone to want to problem solve. So I'll say, Lord, I know you're busy. I'll just take this on myself. And... I've done that enough to know I just make it worse. You just have to say, Lord, these things are beyond my control. The one thing I can't control is how I respond to you. And what defines that connection with you is your word, which is my new filter for seeing what's going on around me. And it changes everything. He goes from a moment of crisis to a sustained experience with the last word on there. What's that last word that I've highlighted, if you can see the highlighted? Deliverance and then blessing. Blessing is just a state of being that you have in relationship to God where every day he's providing 
He's, he's helping you along. He's showing you grace. He's offering you his presence. He's sustaining you. He's doing all of these wonderful things that would never happen if we weren't well connected to him. And that's God's goal for all of us is to bless us. It's not to take away the pain. It's not to take away the threats. It's not to take away the things that would provoke fear. But it's to put us in a place where when they happen, they don't control us. They don't define us. They don't tell us what to do. But only the word of the Lord does that. And our biggest job is trying to take what is unseen in that way and make it come alive in a real way in the everyday. And it starts with a connection with Jesus. That's the only thing I can say. Accepting him as your deliverer, as your Lord, as your Savior, as the one who rescues you. He's always in a posture to save you, but we're not always in a posture to receive it. But when the forces get great, sometimes even people like my dad, out of desperation, <laughs> find ways to bring prayer into the equation. Answered his prayer. And thankfully down the road I got to baptize him. That answered my prayer. Lots of good things happen when it's you and God in the mix. And we just want to create that dynamic that energizes your life by knowing him. Would you bow with me? Father, we are grateful that as we began to see things as you see them, we find peace. We find perspective, Lord. We see things that are and we see things that we imagine that aren't. We thank you, Father, for helping everyone in the room to be able to know you better through your word and for each of us in our experience in life to know a grace and a peace and a love and hopefully an acceptance from you and from each other in the room that we never knew before. Thank you, Father. Just bless your word that it would go with us and, and guard us and keep us. In Jesus' name, amen.